This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 124. In this episode, I got to hang out with Jasmine Bradshaw. She's the host of First Name Basis podcast. Jasmine is a teacher and a mama of one and a half. She's growing a babe right now that's due in August. And she is a beautiful teacher. She is someone who I have really loved learning from on this journey. Her podcast teaches parents how to talk to children about things like white privilege and anti-racism and cultural appropriation. I'm really grateful for the resources she provides and that she was willing to share her time to support our village on how to raise anti-racist children. We have a lot of work to do on this journey and I look forward to having you alongside us as We at Seed really work to shift what business as usual looks like to make sure we are actively doing this work. Thanks for joining us on this journey in raising emotionally intelligent, actively anti-racist humans so that all children get to grow up in a world where they feel safe and seen and supported. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I get to hang out with my new friend, Jasmine Bradshaw. I was just saying she's probably in hot demand, specifically this week in our (laughs) world. What a week. But I found Jasmine over on the gram and then got obsessed with her podcast, First Name Basis. 
and am really stoked to get to hang out with you today, Jasmine. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. I really am. It's such a crucial conversation for us to have, I think, specifically in this time, but uh, just always about what I think is standing out right now is this idea of like being anti-racist, actively anti-racist, because I think for so many folks were like, the idea of racism had been over racism. And a lot of folks are just diving into what it means beyond overt racism. Mm, Absolutely, yeah. And how to lay this groundwork for our kiddos. So can you let our folks know a little bit about who you are and kind of what brings you here? Yeah, totally. So yes, as you said, I'm Jasmine Bradshaw. I have a podcast called First New Basis and a community that goes around that podcast where we give parents the tools that they need to teach their children about race, religion, and culture. We feel like um, it's just one of those things where we have to make sure as parents that we are at the front of the conversation because if we wait and we let society teach our kids these things, then we can see those biases come in. We can see that detrimental you know, mindset. So if we can get out in front of it and help unpack those things with our kids, we just think that we can make a huge change for the future of our community. So that is why it exists. And I'm so grateful that I get to do this work. Yeah, such incredible work. And I saw that you had started a Patreon community to do some Q&A too. Is that right? Yes, just the other day. It's up and running. So we're going to do monthly question and answer sessions, which I'm really excited about because people come to our Instagram community and they have such good questions, but they're questions that need time and space and energy. And you need to see each other face to face to be able to really have the conversation. So we're excited to have that over on Patreon as well. Yeah, I think that's an amazing resource for folks on this journey and important for you to get paid for your work. So cheers to you. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, So you taught second and third grade, is that right? Yeah, I taught second grade um, for a few years and then third just for a short time. And then um, I started my family. So I have a little girl. She's two and a half and I'm pregnant with our second. I'm due in August. So I just got back from the doctor doing that glucose test where you drink the... (laughs) I know, but you know, everything is good, healthy. We're so excited to have two, but we're in anticipating the transition period. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, we have some resources for you if you need support there. Uh, (laughs) Awesome. So let's dive into this. Can you share like, what does it really mean when we say anti-racist? When you think of anti-racist, it's so important that you understand that it is an active thing that you're doing. So There are these systems within our society and within our community that are in play that are set up to advantage white people and disadvantage people of color. And so as someone who is trying to be anti-racist, we have to make sure that we are working against those systems, trying to take them down, take them apart, reimagine them, and um, just understand that when we're in our homes, but also when we're in the community, that we are like using our voices to 
enact policy change and things like that, which is hard when you're talking about really little kids, right? But we can teach them when they're really tiny about how much their voice matters so that that will carry throughout their life. And Angela Davis, you've probably heard this quote, but it is one of my very favorites. She says, in a racist society, it's not enough to be non-racist. We have to be actively anti-racist. So, Yeah. And I think, you know, this, I was just on a coaching call yesterday with a mom who was sharing, she has a four-year-old and a two-year-old and she was sharing about her. She was like, my two-year-old starting to like use her voice with her older brother. And I want to empower that. And I'm not really sure how. And she was saying her brother's like always calling the shots. He's the four-year-old. He's the, this is what game we're going to play. This is the show we're going to watch. And she's finally, she, she, mom was saying for a while, the little girl was just like happy to be involved with the big brother, happy to be a part of it. And now she's saying, no, I don't want that show or no, I want to play this game. And she started to tell him, don't boss me around. And I was like, yes, get it. I love that. And, but we were, I was sharing how like we can actively teach him how to hold space for her as a girl and for women knowing that, as a white dude, he's always had a voice that everyone's listened to and it all, that'll continue to happen. And so how does he hold space for other folks' voices to be heard and how we're doing some of this work so young. And I think for folks now shifting and thinking of like, oh, I need to also be talking about race. I told you our, our village is predominantly like birth to five. What does that look like in infancy, toddlerhood and preschool? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're thinking about these younger kids, you want to make sure that you are affirming um, differences. So that's where we all start is we're talking about differences. I know it's super tempting as parents, as adults, we were taught growing up like everyone's the same and look for similarities, which is great. It's good to look for similarities, but we also need to be recognizing, naming and affirming those differences and helping our children to know that differences are just a part of life. They're just fine. And even if they cause, you know, tension or it feels a little uncomfortable, those differences are still okay. So that's where we start with the very little kids. And then from there, we can move to helping them understand these big concepts like racism, sexism, all of these things in a lens of what's fair and what's unfair. Because little kids totally get that, right? Like they are always, wait a minute, that's not fair. She got two snacks and I only got one snack. That's not fair. They get that. So when we're helping them see what's going on, whether it be in current events or historically, we can ask them, what do you think about that? Does that seem fair? And they will be able to tell you, oh, no. And then you can brainstorm with them. What are some things that should have happened differently? Or what are some things we can do as a family to help make things more fair? Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, I think what's key there is for us understanding our, like for ourselves as adults, um, what we're looking at and what we're seeing, right? Like we can't teach what we don't know. Um, Amen. <laughs> and so that it really does start with us. I, I think right now we're hearing so much and I do want to cover a little bit of this, but like the, like, what do I say to my kids? What language do I use? Like, how do I do this in a developmentally appropriate manner for different ages and stages? And we find this in our village in general, people from 
everything. Like if I post something that says like, instead of saying this about lying, say this, those posts always do the best because people are like, yes, just tell me what to say. <laughs> and then in the caption, I have to go into, but really it's about building connection. And like, it's so much deeper than that. But I think we're often hungry for like, what do we say? Because we, when it's new, when it's something we're not used to saying, or we didn't grow up hearing, finding the language to use can be, can feel like a really big hurdle. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I hear that. And I relate to one of the biggest things we can do with our really little ones is just talk about skin tone. So we don't necessarily need to introduce white, black to them because it doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. We aren't. When you look at someone who's white, they're not the color white. And when you look at someone who's black, they're not the color black. So it's confusing for little kids because they're learning their colors and they're learning to categorize. And they're like, wait a minute, this doesn't match what I'm learning. So instead, we can talk about skin tone and we can talk about melanin. Now, um, you're probably familiar, but everybody has melanin in their, in their skin, and it's just the amount of melanin you have determines how dark you are or how light you are, and how dark you are and how light you are come from where your ancestors are from. So if your ancestors are from a climate in where it was really hot, the sun was shining all the time, they're going to have darker skin. And if your ancestors come from a place where maybe it was more snowy, cold, dark, they didn't need that melanin to protect them because the melanin protects you from getting a sunburn. So you can help them understand all of the different shades of people and things like that and, and just teach them about melanin. It's just like another vocabulary word like we would be teaching, you know, anything to them. So, and I found little kids really grasp onto that. And Another powerful thing is if you've seen those like markers or crayons or whatever paints that are inclusive that have different skin tones so that when they are crafting or you're reading a book and you're pointing these things out, oh, look at her skin is light and her skin is dark brown and so beautiful and just affirming those different things within that they're seeing in their environment. Because the thing about our kids is that if we shy away from it, it's not that their questions stop. It's just that they stop asking their questions. And they feel like, so let's say you're at the store and you see, you know, someone who's darker and your kid says, why is that person so dark? Or I had someone say, why, my, my daughter said, why is that guy covered in black paint? And as parents, people are so mortified, right? They're like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. So they just shush and they get them out of there as fast as they can. But really that's the opposite of what we should be doing because it teaches our kids that talking about skin tone and seeing that piece of someone else is shameful. And so when we're able to introduce this vocabulary of melanin and skin tones and the range, then they'll feel empowered and they'll be able to be more inclusive instead of feeling like, oh, I had this question, but last time my mom or my dad or whoever was so upset with me for asking that I'm just not gonna ask anymore. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Levine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. 
BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot voices. Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Yeah, yeah, totally. With everything that we are encountering in life, I feel like knowledge is so helpful for our tiny humans. And I mean, like, just thought of when I got my period for the first time and asked my mom and she was so embarrassed that I was like, oh, she's not the one I talked to about this, right? Like. That we're all they're always paying attention. Like, is this person a safe space for me to talk about this, to ask these mm-hmm. questions? And yeah, I love that. And and I also love that you pointed out that kiddos so young are starting to categorize. Can you go into more of how that plays a role in race specifically? Oh yeah, absolutely. So our toddlers, our little ones, they are their brain development right now, they're thinking about categorizations. That is what they're they're doing. And we usually are reinforcing that, right? We are doing activities with them where they're sorting by color or they're sorting by shape. They're learning how to sort things in their brain. So when they go out into the community, let's say that you live in a space that's predominantly white and then you go to the grocery store or you go to get your tire changed or Um, Maybe someone is coming to do your lawn and they are from outside your community and they have darker skin. So your toddler or even your older child might look at that person and think, okay, I don't see that person who lives in my neighborhood. They don't look like me, but I do see them when I need something. So I see them bagging my groceries or I see them mowing my lawn. I see them changing my mom's tire. So they're going to take that and put it into a category. They're going to think, oh, people with darker skin, this is what their place is in my life is to serve me and do things for me. So they start developing these biases and these racist tendencies without their parents even telling them because that's what's um, hard is that parents are like, well, I have never said anything racist or I've never told my child, you know, to 
devalue someone else because of the color of their skin. But it's not necessarily about what you're saying. It's about the environment and what the environment is teaching them and how they're naturally developing and categorizing those things. Yeah. And what you're not saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if that is the case, if you live in a community, I grew up in like a rural farm town in Western New York that was overwhelmingly white. And so if you are seeing like the one person at the grocery store who's bagging your groceries, who has darker skin or it, what do, what conversation do you have with your toddler or your preschooler or your young elementary school student? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think that that's where representation comes into play and making sure that you are providing um, an inclusive um, bookshelf or inclusive TV shows, but also letting them see like children they can't be what they can't see, right? So representation isn't only important for children of color, it's important for white children as well to be able to see, oh yeah, of course there is a black man who can be president. Of course there is a black woman who can be a news anchor. Uh, I like love Doc McStuffins, it's so silly, but it's one of those things where you're like, yes, this black woman can be a doctor. And that is like a really powerful message to be sending to your children. So making sure that that space is inclusive, but looking for opportunities to go outside of yourself. I know that um, there are so many events and like cultural opportunities to experience someone else's uh, worldview. And so just looking for those chances to take your family and go and experience and engage and hopefully build meaningful relationships with people while you're there. Yeah. And if you are in, you know, Midwest, Ohio, whatever, and like you don't have access to that, I think even having books that don't just have characters of color, black characters, but that are about different cultures and religions and highlighting different family structures, I think mm -hmm. is a huge way to bring it in. I was listening to your 30 and 30 podcast and heard you talk about Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum and her racism as a smog analogy. And I would love it if you could share it because I think it's so key. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum, she's one of my very favorite researchers. She wrote a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, as well as many other amazing works. Um, but she talks in there about how racism is like a smog and we are all breathing it in all the time and it's all around us. And sometimes the smog is really thick. And that's what we think of as like traditional racism, like, you know, burning crosses, white hoods. That's what we think of when we think of the word racism and we see that thick smog but other times it's thinner and we can't necessarily see it but it's still there it's like I've also heard an analogy like it's the water we're swimming in fish don't know that water's around them right but racism is just like that we're the fish and racism is the water that we swim in yeah yeah and I think that like that's the work for the adults is to recognize that this is the system we live in and whether you have gotten to the place where you can recognize that yet or not like the system was built off of having black humans in america as slaves and some laws have changed but the system itself hasn't evolved very much and being able to to dive into that bias work i think is the key component to be able to teach our kids somebody reached out and was like i mean where do i start like 
do I talk about the preschool to prison pipeline? Like, do I talk about what, where do I start to teach kids stuff? And I, I think it's this idea. I think we do this also with like, how do we teach kids about sex? Where we're like, it's gotta be one big conversation and there's so much on the line and uh, it feels really heavy when we approach it like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, you're so right. But I think it's more about, and I'm sure you would agree, like creating that environment, opening that line of communication, having those inclusive books, the inclusive markers, so that all of the, the things that you're doing in your life can lend itself to those conversations. And when you experience bias or you see something happening, have that conversation right then. A lot of us can recognize, well, okay, implicit bias is hard because sometimes you recognize it and sometimes you don't, right? But when you are recognizing it, stop in that moment and say it out loud. You're driving on the street and you see somebody in your neighborhood and you have that thought, oh, what are they doing here? Wait a minute. You can tell your children, you guys, I would just, I just saw that man and I thought to myself, hmm, what is he doing here? But I realized that that's not right. What I really should have said was, oh, I bet he's going to have an awesome day in the park with his family. Or I'm so excited that he's here because um, it means that he's probably going to walk his dog and have a great day. Like things like that where we are actively retraining those thoughts in our brain and showing our kids, modeling that for them. Yeah, it's that reparenting work, right? Like really diving into those biases. The cool thing is we can rewrite those patterns. Yeah. You got to be aware before you can rewrite them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the first step is like recognizing it. And it feels kind of yucky when you first experience it. You're like, oh, I, I don't like that. I just had that thought. But what matters most is the next thought. What you do with it is what matters. Totally. We, when we researched the SEP method, we had everybody who participated in the research, the parents and teachers had to take the Harvard uh, implicit bias test. And uh, they had to, they didn't have to share their answers publicly, but as a part of the research, it was part of it. And so many folks were like embarrassed because we had, and this is the part that I think is key is facing that embarrassment and saying like, oh man, yikes, that lives within me. And it's going to continue to live within me until I continue to build awareness so that I can rewrite those patterns. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're right. It does feel crummy. Yeah, it feels, it feels bad, but I feel like too, it's a source of power because if you don't know about it, then you can't change it. So if you are able to step into that discomfort and embrace it for a while, then you'll be able to see your growth along this journey. Because at the beginning, you're like, oh man, I really don't like my results. That is really unfortunate. But use that as fuel to change. And then when you look back, you'll think, oh my goodness, I'm so, I just got a message from somebody on Instagram that was like, I feel like a changed person now that I'm seeing all of these things and I would never want to go back. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And once you start to pay attention to bias work, it won't stop at race, which is really cool. Yes, you'll be able to see how all of these things are interconnected. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So when folks are starting, if they're like, all right, I want to start having a conversation with my kiddos. I'm going to open this door. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world. What does that look like to start? Say you have a three or a four-year-old and you're like, I feel like we're going to have a conversation today. I'm going to sit down and do this. (laughs) What does that look like? 
Um, well, I would start by saying that there's a lot of violence and really traumatic things going on, of course, in current events right now. And it is important to remember what your child is developing, developmentally ready for. So we do need to talk to our children, but I, I don't think I would talk to my three-year-old about what's going on with George Floyd and police brutality. It's just there, even though they're ready for the conversation about melanin, about skin tone, about fairness, they are not ready for a conversation about violence. And that is okay, right? But know that while you're having these conversations about those other things, you're laying the foundation so that when it happens again, because it will, you will be ready and they will be ready for it. But one of the best things that I did when I was teaching, um, and I felt like kids connected instantly with it, is I would take something that they loved. We had these little like class books. And so I would tape them to the top of the board, like two sets of them. And then I would choose the tallest kid in the class and the shortest kid in the class. And I would ask them, okay, whoever can reach these gets to keep them. And oh my gosh, the tall kid was so excited, right? He's like, I can reach it. And so he grabs it. And the shortest, who was usually a little sweet little girl, would be like so heartbroken. And I would ask the class, okay, should I get her a chair? And they would be like, yeah, yeah. But the tall kid would be like, no, because I can reach it. So I should just be able to have hers, right? And so I would show them, okay, now that she can stand on the chair, she can reach it. But wait a minute, why is it even all the way up there? It doesn't need to be up there. What really makes sense is that I would just lower them to a level where they can both reach it. Mm -hmm. So that's just a really easy example of showing kids that fair isn't always equal. But even when you when you do make things quote unquote equal or give them equity, why not just bring it down so that everybody has access? So we would have that conversation of at first it was definitely unfair. He could reach, she couldn't reach, but it was equal okay, well, that doesn't make sense. So then we give her a chair. That's equity is giving her what she needs to be able to reach. Mm -hmm. But then we, when we take it down, that's liberation. It doesn't make sense for things to be out of people's reach. Why don't we take it to a place where everybody can reach it? I love that example so much. My wheels are spinning. <laughs> it made me think of like sensory seats in the classroom, how we've been like, oh, this kid has a hard time sitting still. We'll give them a sensory seat instead of being like, oh, maybe we should incorporate movement into our day more so that all kids are getting sensory rich activities. Ooh, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, absolutely. yeah, that, oh, my wheels are turning. Um, that was so good. This is why I was like, I can't wait to have this conversation because you're a teacher and I you're so good at teaching. You have such a gift. Yeah, totally. Rad. When people are starting to do their own anti-racism work, we talked about how like starting with implicit bias, you're there's going to be discomfort as you're getting to know your biases and those things that you feel like you worked so hard in life for <laughs> and you start to realize like, Oh, did I manifest that? Or am I just white? And <laughs> like starting to connect those, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's and, a hard question, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's uncomfortable for a little bit as you start to realize like, Oh no, somebody who is wet worked 
just as hard, if not harder. And I did yada yada. Like it wasn't about working hard to get where I am. And I think as adults doing this work, that that's a huge part of this is recognizing where our privilege has lived throughout our life. Um, and the narrative that we had carried around what it really was. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So then as you start to do like actively anti-racist work, and we're doing this with kids, are there things that you're like, oh, this is where I would start for parents specifically or for teachers specifically who are like, yeah, I want to be a model here. Like I had somebody reach out whose husband's a police officer and she was talking to her five-year-old about police brutality. And because her five-year-old was like, why did that guy die? And she was like, okay, well, here we go. And so she was chatting with her five-year-old and her husband got uncomfortable because he was like, I don't want her to think that I am a racist cop. And she was like, well, you are white. So you do have racism. And, and if you're actively anti-racist, she'll know <laughs> that like, she'll know who you are and where your values are and all that. And I think that that is so key is that we are modeling the anti-racism just like we model everything else in life. Like we can tell kids what to do, but they're going to do what we do. Um, 
I had a little girl in preschool my first year teaching. She's three years old. And she was like the kid you could send to do an errand because she was just going to do it. She was going to come back. Mm. There wasn't, I was she wasn't going to disappear in the hallway. And she, her dad dropped her off one morning. and was like, she said the F word to her brother last night. Like, do you know where she heard that? I was like, I mean, we don't say it at school. <laughs> and I was like, did you ask her? And so I called her over and I was like, Hey babe, I heard you said the F word to your brother last night. Where did you hear that? And she said, when daddy drives. And he was like, oh, yep, yep, oh yep. <laughs> he was like, yeah, guilty. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, this to say that they are going to model what they see, or they're going to repeat what we model uh, more than what we tell them, right? So you can read books, and these are really great ways to be introducing things but how we talk about other people or what we do actively, I think plays the most crucial role here. Uh, so for adults who are like, yeah, I want this. I want to do this. First, I want to let you know, it's like not a quick fix. You're not going to check a box and be like, great, read this book, done. <laughs> um, but also would like to give tangible places to start outside of like maybe taking the implicit bias test from Harvard. Like where else can adults start to really dive into doing this work? Yeah, um, I think what you said about books is really powerful. I, For me, understanding the historical context of what played into the systems that we have is really, really important. So I have started with, you know, of course, Eva Max Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist, or um, White Fragility is another really amazing book. Um, but if you're looking to move beyond books, I would say what, just like we were talking about with those everyday conversations, you need to be cognizant of the messages that are coming into your home from outside. So there's so much that in the media where these biases play out and it's all coded language like nobody's going to say usually let's hope right people don't usually say super racist things on tv but they're it's buried within those things so um we can't obviously we don't want to just shut off our tvs and not listen to the news or whatever but when you hear that press pause and have a conversation or let's say um there was one time when my daughter was watching mickey it was a Mickey Mouse. It was an older one. And he like went and he got a headdress and put it on. And then he goes, how? And I was like, oh, pause. We paused the TV and we had a conversation about how that, I mean, she's only two. So I just used the words unkind. I said, you know, it really is not kind for Mickey to be using someone else's special cultural, cultural items and making fun of them by using that voice. She Does she understand that? Probably not. She's two. But just planting those seeds and then, you know, nourishing them with all of the different conversations that we have is so important. And um, there is a really, really powerful activity on PBS. It's called Race, the Power of an Illusion. And um, if your kids are a little bit older and you have been able to talk to them about racial categories and how things are racialized in terms of white, black, brown, all of those things, there, um, you look at the, a series of faces, and then you have to put them into their racial category based on what you think they are. Mm. And what you find, of course, is that you're like completely off base. You look at these pictures and you think, oh, of course she's black, or of course, you know, he's white. But then you realize that they are in a different racial category, and it helps to show that race 
is basically just a made up concept. So that is one of a, like something that's so powerful for us as adults, but also for kids to see is that people don't fit neatly into these categories because we made up these categories. Yeah. Ooh, will you just give a brief history on how we made up race for folks here real quick? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So when our country was being founded, um, they're, of course, writing the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and they're saying all men are created equal, but they're also engaging in, you know, kidnapping and enslaving people from Africa. And so that to them was very much cognitive dissonance. How can you say that all men are created and women are created equal? Well, not at the time. How yeah. can you say that all men are created equal, but then be traumatizing an entire community of people in this way? And so what they did was they were able to go out and find scientists to kind of confirm that bias within themselves. So there are two main scientists, Carl Linnaeus and Frederick Blumenbach, and they worked together to distinguish the racial categories. So they came up with the categories black, white, yellow, and red. Um, and from there, they were able to, they decided that they should be ranking these categories and white, of course, was at the top. And um, it's Linnaeus, Carl Linnaeus decided that uh, we were going to call white people Caucasians because he was into studying skulls and they believe that the shape and size of your skull determined your intelligence and your ability. And so he would study these skulls and his, in his opinion, the most beautiful skulls came from a place called the Caucasus Mountains, which is in Europe. And he actually wasn't even from there, which is funny, mm. right? So he decided that white people are going to be called Caucasian. And then he said that everyone else is a degeneration of the Caucasian race. So that his science was used to affirm what they were doing by enslaving people in the United States. So they were like, oh, it's okay that we are saying that everyone was created equal because those aren't actually people. They are degenerations of what a person is because a person is someone who's white. Thank you for a little history <laughs> lesson. I full disclosure, didn't know that like we made up race. When you started to say that in the other podcast, I was like, where is this going? Excuse me, what? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, incredible. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and for teaching and for giving folks tangible things they can do and for breaking it down. I think when we do think about like, all right, how do I teach my three-year-old about systemic racism? It feels really overwhelming. And being able to break it down into like, okay, here's what I can do today. And then here's what we can do tomorrow. And here's how this can be and should be an ongoing forever conversation. Oh, absolutely. My husband and I were just talking last night about how um, one of the hardest things for people when they're at the beginning of the journey is accepting that you will never arrive. Mm -hmm. It is lifelong. And if you're committed, that is so powerful because it means that you'll be able to make so much change through yourself, but also through your children and the our future as a community and as a country. But you, the work is never done. And it's kind of funny because as soon as you get into it, you every time you go deeper, you see how much more there is to do. Yeah, totally. Totally. And we, and what we know, our, our village knows, like we talk about our emo kids' emotional development, but also our own reparenting work and 
getting to know our social programming and our biases from our childhood from like, oh, I was raised spanking. And so now I don't really know what to do in terms of discipline, et cetera. And, and getting down and dirty with like, oh, where are these feelings coming from? Where are these triggers coming from? What trends am I seeing in my behavior? And, and that, that work never goes away. Like your inner child voices don't go away. They're always there. We just build awareness of them so that we can choose to respond differently instead of reacting from our subconscious. And that when we're talking about race and really breaking down these systems, it's never going to be that you are going to all of a sudden wake up one day and like you don't have any racial biases. And that shouldn't be the goal um, because that's not a realistic goal. You don't get rid of social programming. We bring awareness to it so that we can respond with intention. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. And I think one of the most important things that we can hold on to um, as parents and as people is understanding that it's not about whether or not you are a racist. A lot of people are thinking, well, I'm not racist because I don't think this or I don't do this. It's more about your actions and your words. So is what you are saying or doing racist or is it anti-racist? So you're thinking about the specific actions and the specific words. If you told a lie one time, we would not call you a liar for the rest of your life, right? That would be silly. So, but you're, you've still told a lie before and you've also told the truth. So it's understanding that you're going to be doing both of those things and you try, of course, to be more anti-racist than you are racist. And you'll know that when, when you're on the journey, you'll be able to see that within yourself. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Where can our village connect with you, continue to learn from you, pay you for your work? Thank you. Yes. So we are on Instagram at firstname.basis and, uh, or you can visit our website at firstnamebasis.org. And we are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash firstnamebasis. And you have your podcast is First Name Basis. Yes. Uh, it's First Name Basis podcast, but yeah, okay. the one with my picture. <laughs> <laughs> the one with your picture. We will link to all the books and, and resources that you shared in this episode in our show notes and on our blog post as well. Jasmine, thank you. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And thanks for being such a great teacher. I was saying at the beginning that like, for me, part of this journey is figuring out which educators uh, teach in a way that I best learn. And I know as teachers, we are conditioned to differentiate, right? To teach to how that student best learns. And you as a Instagram educator with like courses or platforms, you aren't able to differentiate for everyone all the time. And so if I'm seeking out educators, I'm like, Ooh, this isn't how I best learn. And it's on me to then find another educator. And so, uh, I hope that our listeners also kind of go down that path where they find educators that teach in the way that they learn. And you for sure teach in the way that I learn. And I'm grateful to get to learn from you. Oh, well, this was such a blast. I'm so grateful we connected. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook 
search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.